Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Danny Gobi Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is live in New York City. Madison Square Garden plays host to UFC 281. We'll be breaking down all the action from that event as part of our Fights, Dogs, and Parlay segment. We'll also give you an underdog in a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. And as always, I am bringing you the interviews. We've got a couple of New York natives on the show today. Julio Arce joins us first, ready for his bout in Madison Square Garden. And a little bit later on, we'll be joined by Matt Frivola. But before we can get to any of that great content, I have to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Pickett. The Pickett social betting platform allows you to sync all the action from your sportsbook accounts in one nice, neat place. Not only that, but you can stay up to date on all the bets your friends are dropping and show off your big scores as well. It's also a great place to build a following if you're an up-and-coming better in the sports betting world, or maybe you're even a well-established veteran trying to expand that audience. There's so many cool features to Pickett. My personal favorite is the security and privacy the app allows. You never have to worry about your information winding up in the hands of those skeezy third parties. And you can actually hide anything you want from the public, including dollar amounts if you're just a unit size kind of guy. But really, there's infinite reasons to love the Picket app. So whether you're new, regular, or an experience better, stop what you're doing and join the Picket community today. You can download the app on the Google Play Store or the App Store. Picket brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, joining me today is Julio Arce, who fights Montel Jackson at UFC 281 live from Madison Square Garden. That fight is, of course, on November 12th. So, Julio, I-, I wanted to start here. You know, I-, I know you started the beginning of your career down at Bantamweight. By the time you had come to the UFC, you were up at Featherweight. And now you've made the, the move back down. You're three fights in. What-, what sort of was the impetus for you deciding to move back down to Bantamweight? I think it's, you know, the fact that that's the weight division that I belonged in. And the the fact that all, all these guys at uh, Featherweight, you can clearly see the size difference. I mean, I was holding my own in there, but if I want to be able to have, like, any trajectory towards going towards a championship belt, it would be a Bantamweight in the right division. A little bit also before, like, when I was at Bantamweight in, uh, in the regional circuit, it was, you know, like the weight cuts weren't as as structured as we have them now. So now it makes it a lot easier to make the band weight. So we're like, all right, let's make this move and let's do it right. I like that. I like that. And and so you, you sort of hinted to it, but I wanted to get clarification. The only reason you decided to stay at Featherweight as long as you did was, you know, hey, I'm, I'm beating guys like Dan Ige. I'm beating dudes up here at Featherweight. Might as well keep doing it. Yeah, pretty much. And then I'm like, these guys just kept getting freaking – Larger and larger. I'm like, dude, I'm like, they're throwing, they threw a freaking six, six, one guy at me. I'm like, Jesus, man, this dude's huge. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah. And then, you know, I fought, you know, even when I fought like, uh, like Shaman Marias and uh, Hakeem Dowder, you could clearly see the size difference between them and I. And I'm just clearly just much smaller. So I had to get to a division that I belonged in. 
That makes a lot of sense. Now, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but the dude you're fighting next, Montel Jackson, is also a pretty big dude, right? He's he's like five foot ten. He's long. What were sort of your thoughts when they offered you him as an opponent? Because he is a dude who, I mean, he almost looks like a featherweight. They throw all the freaking tall guys at me, but you know what? It is what it is. I got you know, I was able to get an opponent because I was I was trying to fight actually in uh in July with uh, my teammate Shane in, uh, in UFC Long Island. That didn't happen because I couldn't find an opponent. And I was like, okay, let's try to shoot for, for Paris, the UFC in Paris. No opponent. And then they're like, and then I actually didn't know if this was going to happen or not because, like, they were having a hard time, you know, finding somebody. I know because everyone's so active. And they're like, you know, we got Montel Jackson. I'm like, I'm in. Let's go. Awesome. And, and I want to talk more about the Montel Jackson fight too, but you mentioned something, you know, like not only is it a, uh, Hey, la- live crowd event, not only is it, you know, finally got your opponent, you don't have to wait anymore. It's Madison square garden. You, you know, you're a guy who lives around the area. You know, you wanted to be on long Island with, with Shane Burgos, but at the end of the day, you're in a bi- the biggest stadium, you know, the, the most storied stadium in the world. What was it like being when they, you know, they sent you that contract and it says Madison square garden on it. I was so hyped about it. I mean, cause like, look, it's not many people get that opportunity. So I get that opportunity to fight again there and freaking go out and, you know, show out and leave it all in that cage. For sure. For sure. And, and I got to ask you, obviously, you know, you fought close to home a bunch of times, right? Ring of combat yeah. obviously left you close to home. Are, are you one of those guys who loves that? Loves sleeping in your own bed. Cause I've heard from some people, you know, they prefer the trip. They prefer their fight week feeling like it's an event, whereas, you know, sometimes when they're home, it's a little trickier. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people build a lot of comfort there. For me, like, I was just more focused on getting ready, being able to fight again. Because I was I was, a will, I was willing to go to Paris. Be like, oh, let's go to Paris and we'll freaking fight. Let's just stay active. And they're like, oh, we'll keep you, we're keeping you close to home. I'm like, all right, you know, that's fine too. I do like when I, you know, I go fight in Vegas too because it's like, it's like a little little trip away from home and you just get to be on your own and just kind of not have to worry about anything but fight's a fight wherever it happens and I'm just ha- I'm just pumped about it I'm pumped that I get to fight again absolutely and you mentioned being on the same card as Shane Burgos originally or wanting to be on the same card as Shane Burgos you do get a little teammate love here with Mike Trezano yeah has that been you know like you know preparing for a fight week with a teammate you know, is that extra special knowing, you know, a couple of New York guys going to New York? Yeah, you know what? The energy in the gym is just, like, through the roof. We're all pushing each other. The funny thing is, you know, like, um, me and uh, Trezano, we're both fighting the same card. And the following, in like, a couple, like, two weeks later, Shane's fighting in the PFL at the Garden. I think at the Hula Theater. But it's like, so we're all just, like, pretty much, like, so close by that we're just, like, the pace is just picking up. I love when you have, I have teammates on the card because it just makes it that much more exciting. It makes like the moment uh, fight week that much more more special, much more fun. Awesome, and yeah, you mentioned Shane Burgos going over to PFL too, and, and I was wondering if you could get your take on that because you know I've seen tons of interviews with him. He looks souped about it. Uh, you know, obviously they, they did the the right thing by him. What are sort of your thoughts on your buddy? You know, maybe not being on the same fight cards as you anymore, but but getting this amazing opportunity. Listen, man, me and him are going always going back and forth to gym here every single time. You know, putting the work. So he did what was best for him and his family and what made sense for him. And I just can't be happier. I, I, I'm only I'm just so happy for him because he gets the major opportunities that he wants. I mean, look, in the UFC, amazing. 
Like everything he did was just a hundred percent. He put his body on the line like nobody else. Always put on exciting fights. And he's gonna do the same in PFL, except he's gonna get much more from it. So it's it's he made the decision that was the that's gonna benefit him more. And that's the way you gotta do it. So I'm 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 so fucking stoked for him. And I can't wait to to go watch him fight and put him a show. Absolutely. And that is going to be a really exciting fight. Not that long after yours, but we should get to back to talking about yours. So you mentioned getting to fight Montel Jackson, a dude who's bigger and longer than you. You know, at the same time, you were like, this is something I have experience in and I just want to fight. But, you know, out of curiosity, what are your sort of thoughts on a guy who does fight long like him? Does it feel like you have to do different things as far as training partners or because you've got a bunch of 45ers in your camp like Shane Burgos? Do you just feel like this is a, a walk in the park? This is what you do every day. Fight's a fight and anything happened. All I know is that uh, the preparations for it where we were just diligent with everything, watch the tapes on him. Um, you know, he's the fact that he's a lefty, you know, it also makes it even more interesting because lefties don't often fight lefties that, that much. It's usually like people are fighting. Uh, it's mostly right righties. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting fight, but I'm looking to just go in there, leave it all out there, and then just leave out with the with my hand raised in victory. He's a he's a next up opponent. He's a he's a prospect. So, got to get in there and just show out and leave it all in there. I love it. Now, you mentioned to watching tape. I do just want to ask you one quick question about that because I know you do some coaching, obviously, for Team Tiger Showman. You're you're one of the guys in there who's helping out all the time. Uh, how how much of that do you like to leave up to yourself and how much do you leave it up to, you know, sort of your staff worth of coaches and your people and, and how much of it is maybe a, a collaborative effort? So it's all collaborative all the way through. So what we do is uh, towards the end, of, towards the end of each week, you know, we'll, we'll pick a fight to watch and we'll break it down and then we'll keep doing that and we'll keep just constantly watching tape and then watching it. Even if we have to watch the same fight over again to, make sure that we're watching every detail, everything that he's done to make sure that when we, when we, we make our game plan, that it's, we have all our bases covered. So it's just constantly just collaborate. Like we'll sit down, you know, when I'm training, like they're, they're watching, they're making sure I'm all my detail, all the details are covered. Then we sit down and watch. So it's like, I right, remember he's got this, he's got that. And we're constantly watching, you know, his strengths, his weaknesses. And we're just looking, we're just preparing ourselves and look, we're preparing ourselves for the best case, the best case scenario, and the worst case scenarios. For sure, I love that. I love hearing the the collaborative effort. Now, you said you're preparing yourself for the best case and the worst case scenario. So, I want you to give me that best case scenario. What's your prediction for UFC 281 on November 12th? It's all gonna happen in that cage. It could be knockout, it could be submission, or it could be by decision. But no matter what, it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be a win no matter what. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, guys. This has been Julio Arce, who fights Montel Jackson at UFC 281, live from Madison Square Garden, that fight, November 12th. Julio, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you, my man. Appreciate it. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Julio Arce. I once again am Dan you're going to be really joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we are going to talk a whole lot about UFC 281 as part of Flight Stocks and Parlays in just a moment. But before we do, before we get into those two great title fights and, of course, Poirier versus Chandler, which fight on this card are you the most excited for outside of those three? Oh, what a great question. Because uh, I'm really excited for those three, but 
um, I guess as far as I'm not sure about a matchup per se, but let me tell you about what I'm excited about. I'm excited to see Erin Blanchfield fight because I think she's one of the most exciting prospects in women's MMA. I love her use of jiu-jitsu, and I think she's only getting better on her feet. I'm somewhat sad and also excited to see Dominic Reyes try to save off a three-fight losing streak um, and get back to winning ways against Ryan Spann. So much easier said than done, but it's something I'm interested in. That's a former title challenger right there fighting for his career. Carolina Kowalkowicz, Matt Frivola, longtime, you know, favorites. Do I think they're potential future champions again? No, I probably don't, but I've always enjoyed them. Uh, Julio Arce, also exciting. And same thing with Dan Hooker. I like watching Dan Hooker fight. And hey, listen, is this Frankie Edgar's swan song? It could be. He's probably going to lose. I think he might lose. But you know what? It's Frankie fucking Edgar. So I'm really excited about a lot of the people fighting on the, the show. How about you? Yeah, I like all those. I, I will say probably my favorite, like, pure matchup is Brad Riddell versus Hanato Moicano. Um, two guys who looked like they were on a really nice trajectory at lightweight, hit a little bit of a roadblock, and now both have a chance to rebound kind of against one another. Um, and I, I'm with you on the Dominic Reyes thing. I, I think people who haven't been following the fact that he's doing this camp with Glover Teixeira um, and Alex Pereira, for that matter, uh, the, the fact that he's doing it there. It does make it really interesting to see, like, is it is it that he, like, somehow messed something up and is no longer in the prime of his career? Or did he just need a change of scenery? And I'm excited to see what that change of scenery does for him. Well, I'll tell you what I'm excited to see, and that's us breaking down these fights in our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC 181. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of it, Gumby, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right. Well, let's start with the main event, as we are known to do, and Israel Adesanya is defending his middleweight title against Alex Pereira, who has a win over him, a win over him in kickboxing. So it's a very exciting matchup. Pereira stormed onto the UFC scene. He's six and one as a pro, but he's three and zero in the UFC. He's ended two fights via KO. Just beat Sean Strickland via KO back in July of 2022. So here he is on a somewhat quick turnaround, four or five months later, and fighting for the title. You knew when the UFC signed him, they had this in their mind. They could play off the history of it all. And really, this is somewhat of the last good challenger for Izzy for a while. I mean, he's beaten almost everyone in the top eight at this point, should he get through Pereira. Um, but if you need to know, he's on a three-fight win streak since going up in weight to fight for the light heavyweight title and losing to then-champion Jan Blankovic. He's come back down to middleweight, defended his belt three times in a row, three wins in a row. He's defended five times overall, going for records, GSP, Anderson Silva, Mighty Mouse, etc., but he's on a three-fight win streak. Marvin Vittori, Robert Whitaker, and Jared Cannonier back in July as well. He is Izzy, a minus-175 favorite. Pereira, a plus-140 dog. Who you got? I'm going to go with Israel Adesanya. Uh, I've wavered back and forth on this one a little bit. In, in the most – I mean, first of all, it's a, a hotly contested fight, right? This one's going to be close. The thing that keeps bringing me back to Izzy is just the amount of – 
extra experience he has in MMA and where that might lie. You know, like we've seen Pereira have a little bit of trouble, not not trouble, but like have issues in the clinch, especially in his first couple of UFC fights or up against the cage and stuff like that. That's not a thing you have to worry about in kickboxing, right? Like you don't worry about being pushed against the cage and held there. And not that Izzy's like a guy who does that all the time, but I also think Israel Adesanya is a master game planner. I think Eugene Behrman does an excellent job down there of doing what they need to do to get the win and knowing what they need to do. And don't get me wrong, I, I think this is going to be filled with kickbox technical kickboxing exchanges. But I also think that if Izzy needs to make it a little ugly, Izzy will make it a little bit ugly. Um, and I kind of expect him to do just enough of that here to beat Pereira, and I, I think he's going to be safe defensively, too. You know, a lot of people talking about him being knocked out by him all the, that time ago. Izzy is a safer fighter than he was when he started in the UFC, never mind when he was kickboxing. I, I think you see a much safer approach from him here, and I think you see him outpoint Pereira. Yeah, I... This is a really tough one for me, because I think the points you brought up are all great. You know, if Izzy has more of the MMA experience. On paper, Izzy would even be the better grappler. We've seen him train at Atos. I believe he's a purple belt now. Um, you can also see that Izzy has really worked on his takedown defense. Uh, and, you know, he's probably further along in his MMA evolution than Pereira. However, Pereira is special. And I think, I mean, these are two highly, highly skilled strikers. I think I give the edge to Pereira just from what I've seen. But again, I haven't really seen that much. I've seen enough to know he's amazing, but I also think Izzy happens to be amazing. I've also seen Izzy because, again, it's a longer body of work. Uh, you know, sometimes not pull the trigger. Sometimes he could be a little, uh, I guess, a perceived lack of aggression. But, you know, I think that could also be really smart. And especially against someone like Pereira, I just don't think that either guy has a skill set that cancels out the other one a lot. I saw someone say, hot take, this is on Twitter, and I wish I could credit the user. They said, the hot take is, is that Izzy might actually utilize wrestling against Pereira. And I got to tell you, Pereira's been working with Glover Teixeira. Uh, I think his takedown defense has probably improved. So this will be largely a contest on the feet. Um, and it's one of those ones where I think we need to see it play out. And if it's razor close, sign me up. Let's do it again. Izzy doesn't really have any other title challengers, you know, on on the horizon. No, I, I think you, you bring up a good point, too. By the way, I'm pretty sure that was Michael Bisping uh, on the Believe You Me podcast. It said something like that um, about Izzy possibly going to the wrestling. And I agree with you. I don't think he's going to. I don't think it's going to. I think this is going to play out in the feet. The difference is, is whether or not it plays at the feet at distance and at range or up against the cage, which I think is an entirely different fight. Um, so, like, yeah, I, I think we will see what happens, and I think we'll get a good sense of how this fight is going to go in the first round. And to your point, like, if Pereira was to win, I, I think you could sign me up for a second one. The UFC does have to do a better job of pushing ahead some of these younger challengers at 85 because there's some good ones in there, right? There's the uh, the Kaibo Hayos and the Andre Munizes. And, like, they're both very intriguing types of fighters uh, for Izzy to be fighting. Let's get one of those guys up in replacing the Marvin Vittori's in the rankings. Because, yeah, like, Marvin Vittori 3 is not happening anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, Pereira had the advantage of having this win in kickboxing over Izzy. Izzy looking like a dominant champion. You knew the UFC would, you know, 
somewhat rush him to a title shot. And I take nothing away from his three performances because they've all been great. But imagine, I mean, there are people at 145, 155 with seven, eight fight win streaks that can't even sniff a title shot. Ten for Arnold Allen, (laughs) ten. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, different divisions, but still kind of funny to think about. All right, let's move then uh, to another banger of a title shot uh, at Women's Fly. uh, You have, or excuse me, Women's Strawweight. You have Carla Sparza who just beat Rosanama Yunus via split decision. Very boring fight. For the Women's Strawweight Championship, she will be defending against the former champion Zhang Weili, Weili Zhang. Uh, Weili is a minus 345 favorite, Asparza a plus 285 dog. After losing uh, two in a row to Rose, Weili basically retired. Joanna Yangjacek beat her with a performance of the night, KO spinning back this back in June of this year. Like I said, Asparza is coming off a really boring split decision win over Rose Namajunas for the title at UFC 274 back in May. Uh, again, Asparza, a champion, but a plus 285 dog. Who you take? Weili Zhang. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure I tweeted out the day Carla Asparza won that title. I look forward to Weili Zhang's next title reign. Because, dude, that, that was my first thought. Is I was like, Weili Zhang is about to take this title back. In devastating fashion. Carla Esparza, don't get me wrong, very good. She did what she needed to to beat Rose Namajunas. But, like, she's not ready for the aggression of Weili Zhang. She's not ready for the power of Weili Zhang. And I don't think she takes Weili Zhang down, right? Like, does it feel like she's going to to get a whole bunch of takedowns and a whole bunch of top control time? I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if she did it in one round, but not in three. So, I, I if she survives any of the onslaughts... Which I think is a big if. I, I think Whaley could put her away pretty easily here. If she survives any of those onslaughts, I still think she gets bat- battered on the feet and loses this one in, in kind of a one-sided fashion. Yeah, I find Whaley to be the better all-around mixed martial artist, so I'm going with her as well. And I don't particularly care for Esparza, so um, uh, Dustin Poirier is a uh, favorite. Uh, no, yes, he is. Sorry, I'm looking at like three different things. Poirier is a minus 175 favorite, and Michael Chandler, a plus 145 dog. This is a very fun fight at 155. Poirier's last uh, fight was a loss last December to Charles Oliveira uh, via rear naked choke. That was for the title. He had reeled off three wins in a row before that, two of them to Conor McGregor. I'm sure everyone knows what happened there. Chandler's coming off a win via vicious front kick over Tony Ferguson. He lost to Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira. Before that, you know, these two guys are at the tops of the division, so it makes a ton of sense for them to fight. The winner's right back in, instant title mix. Again, Poirier, a minus 175. Chandler, a plus 145 dog. Who you got? I'm going with Dustin Poirier here. Uh, it, and it's really, it, it's simple why. I, I know people are really hyped on Michael Chandler, but if you look at his body of the work since coming to the UFC, it isn't all that impressive. Uh, and I, that's not to say that he's not a good fighter and that, like, you know, having that decent first round against Charles Oliveira isn't worth something, right? Because he, he, he seemingly won the first round against Charles Oliveira. But if you want to give him credit for winning, winning round one against Charles Oliveira, you also have to give Tony Ferguson credit for beating Michael Chandler in round one. Because that's a fact. All three judges gave round one to Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson, somebody, people is talking about like, is so out of his career, is so terrible now, doesn't deserve to, like, be in the rankings anymore. And we're across the board all in agreement that he beat Michael Chandler for the first five minutes before eating a front kick. 
Now, if you really think Michael Chandler's going to come out and just flatline Dustin Poirier, I'm pretty shocked by that. Like, I don't think he's going to do that. And the fact that he's been outboxed by pretty much everybody he's fought, like, I, I don't, that doesn't feel good, right? Like, that that doesn't feel good coming, he got outboxed by Gaethje, he got outboxed by Charles Oliveira at the end of the day, he got outboxed by Tony Ferguson for a round. I mean, I guess you could give him the Dan Hooker boxing advantage, but like, He's not outboxing people right now, and he's fighting Dustin Poirier, who's a pretty damn good boxer. So, I mean, like, if you want to draw the path to victory through grappling or something like that, I don't. I just don't know that I buy it. So, I'm going to take uh, Dustin Poirier here. I feel the exact same way. Um, I think, you know, I said this about Weili Zhang. I think Poirier is the better mixed martial artist. I think he utilizes more facets of the game. I like Poirier here. That's not to say I don't like Michael Chandler, but I just happen to think Poirier is that much sharper when it comes to striking, mixing in submissions, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Our underdog of the week is Claudio Puelas, a plus 140. Let's hear it. Yeah, I love Claudio Puelas. Uh, and this isn't a fade on Dan Hooker either because I do like Dan Hooker as well. But Claudio Puelas, since moving to the United States and training uh, down at Sanford MMA, or now they call it Kilcliffe MMA, he has just looked like a completely different animal. I'm so glad he's getting this big step in competition. But since making that move, you know, like beat the hell out of Jordan Levitt, knee barred Chris Grootsmacher, and then he went ahead and knee barred Clay Guido with almost the same exact knee bar he got Grootsmacher with. It's crazy that they let him do it twice. He's now got three knee bars in his last five fights, uh, all of which are in the UFC, two of which got him performance of the night. And for the last four fights, he's really looked like a different animal. I think his grappling advantage here over Dan Hooker is going to make Dan Hooker look kind of like a novice on the mat. I think if this stays standing for too long, Hooker is the reason. That That's the reason why Hooker's a favorite, right? This starts on the feet. I just don't think it stays standing as long as people think it does. I'm going to go with Puelish here. I like it. Uh, we have a big parlay to play this week. Hair, Aaron Blanchfield, a minus 475 favorite. Whaley Zhang, a minus 375 favorite. And Andre Petrovsky, a minus 210. So an almost five, an almost four, and a two to one favorites. Put them together, get your plus 166 odds, break it down. Yeah, I know we usually go with, with two level ones here, but it was just really hard for me to find two lower favorites that I love on this card. Because apart from Dustin Poirier, and Israel Adesanya, whose numbers are damn near close to, you know, the even line. They're in the 100s. There's a lot of underdogs I like on this card. So the favorites I do like, obviously I mentioned why I like Wei Li Zhang. You mentioned why we like Aaron Blanchfield. Aaron Blanchfield gonna steamroll Molly McCann, right? She's gonna plow her over. She's gonna take her down 100 times. She's probably gonna submit her. And I actually think that, that Andre Petrovsky's got an interesting skill set here that gives him a huge advantage over somebody like Wellington Terman. Terman, a guy with really good submission skills, but I haven't been really impressed with his wrestling. And I think Petrosky is just a guy who will be able to control where this fight goes because he's got that Daniel Gracie background, that John Marquez training. And he's shown that he, I mean, he went in there with Nick Maximoff and just tooled on him on the mats before he, he submitted him like a minute into the fight. I think Terman is a step up for him, but I think he's ultimately got the better wrestling and, and maybe the better striking here. So, you know, give me these uh, these three pretty large favorites and let's get plus money on it. Let's get plus money on it. Gumby, that wraps up this edition of Fight Stocks and Parlays. We sure hope the fans enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoy talking about it. You can catch us on the social media game at Top Turtle MMA on the Twitter and the Instagram. Gumby, we're having fun. What do we do now? 
Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Matt Fravola, who talks a little bit about getting the chance to fight in Madison Square Garden for the second time. And while, while he didn't get the win his first time, that fight is still his favorite of all time. So we're going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, joining me today is Matt Favola, who fights Atman Aziatar at UFC 281 live from Madison Square Garden. That fight is on November 12th. So, Matt, I wanted to start here because obviously you've got the history with Atman, right? Like, you were supposed to fight him on Fight Island when that weird escaping uh, Fight Island whole incident went on. That, that was, you know, like two years ago at this point in time. What are sort of your thoughts on getting a chance to run it back this long after the fact? Yeah, you know, I've I've already done an entire camp for this guy. This is the second full-out fight camp I've done for this guy. Uh so I, I'm ready to go, you know. Uh you know, in those 2 years he hasn't he hasn't who knows what he's been doing in that 2 years. I know what I've been doing. I've been I've been training and I've been fighting. So uh I'm I'm ready to go. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, too, about, like, how different, you know, the training camp that you were doing for him at the time was to the one you're doing now. Because, like you said, you've been out there grinding. You've been fighting guys, uh, you know, like t- time and time again. You just knocked out Narl Valdez not that long ago. He He's only he, – he hasn't actually fought since then. He he has only been scheduled to fight you since that time. So what what is it like not being able to see more footage of him in between but knowing that you changed? Uh, you know, I, I, he's, he's a righty and he's a boxer, you know, he's got heavy hands. Uh, he's a first round fighter. He, he doesn't throw many kicks. He doesn't want to wrestle too much. He wants to go out there and throw, uh, throw heavy hands. So he's, you know, he's nothing I haven't seen before. Um, and, uh, like I said, you know, I've, I've done it this is the second camp I've done to prepare for him. So uh, I'm ready to go, you know. We're we're going to enter fight week next week, and uh, I can't wait to uh, get out there and do it. Absolutely. Now, I wanted to ask you, too, you, you mentioned guys who like to box you and, and who, you know, don't want to wrestle with you because obviously, you know, you've got the wrestling pedigree here. You, you beat a ranked fighter in Jalen Turner, largely using your impressive wrestling. You beat guys like Luis Pena using your wrestling. But last fight... Not so much the case, right? Like, last fight you go out, and not only do you beat the hell out of Gennaro Valdez and do so on the feet, but you knock him down four times, eventually get the knockout in, you know, three minutes. Was it kind of the thought process going into that fight that you wanted to show off to people that you got those hands? Uh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> you know, uh, I was, was going to eventually take him down, but uh, but I rocked him before. I heard him before, and... Uh, and we got the job done with uh, with my striking. Uh, you know, I, I go into every fight. I'm a well-rounded uh, mixed martial artist. You know, I've, I've got that that Long Island wrestling, that strong island wrestling that's uh, always you know had my back. And then uh, I've got you know some great stand-up uh, with Ray Longo, and uh, and then I got some great jujitsu with uh, Matt Serra and Matt Arroyo. So. You know, I'm I'm a well-rounded uh, uh, fighter, and and I feel like I could really finish a fight uh, anywhere. Uh, so it's it's kind of you know where you know where where I want to do it, or, or where I see the fight going, and uh, and that's that's kind of what I do. 
So, so then obviously I, I got to ask too, you know, you, you went in there with, with no intention of, you know, turning it into a brawl, turning it into a, a rock'em sock'em robot fight. You, you said yourself, you were planning on at some point in time, getting him down and doing what you, maybe you do best. Does, does it make you second guess any of your past game plans? Cause not that, you know, like you said, you're well-rounded and you go in with game plans to do, you know, just whatever, but does it make you second guess that maybe your hands have been better all along than you've been giving them credit for? Uh, no, you know, I, I believe in my hands. I believe in my, my kicks. I believe in my knees. I believe in, uh, I believe in all my, uh, all my abilities. Uh, and I know I can finish a fight, you know, anyway, I can finish a fight on the feet. I can finish a fight on the, on the floor. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, uh, eventually, you know, in that last fight, I, I would have taken him down, uh, but you know, I, I rocked him before, and uh, I smelled blood, and I, and I felt the finish, and I went for it, so it it, it all worked out. It sure did. Now, I, I you mentioned the Strong Island side of you. I, I've obviously got to ask. You know, you, you were already kind of pining for it on Twitter. You were kind of pushing fans to hopefully get you on this UFC 281 card. Before they even give you the opponent or before, you know, when that contract first arrives and it says Madison Square Garden, UFC 281, how, how pumped were you that Mick Maynard and the guys finally got you on that card? Oh, I was so pumped. Uh, you know, uh, it doesn't get bigger than uh, Madison Square Garden for, for a kid from Long Island. So uh, I'm I'm just so pumped to be going back and uh, – and at this point in my career, I think uh, a lot of people are, are going to be tuning in. A lot more people are going to be coming out and uh, supporting. Uh, so it, it's huge. It means the world. Absolutely. And, and I'm curious, too, like, is fight week for you? Because this is the second time you've done Madison Square Garden. It's worth noting you were on UFC 230 as well, which I also wanted to ask about. But is it more... You know, some fighters have said that they like fighting at home. They like fighting in their backyard. It gives them somewhere to fight, you know, that, that really meaningful to them. Others have said they, they kind of like the discomfort of being outside of their homeland for fight week. They like the trip to Vegas. They like the ritual. Are, are you a type of guy who prefers to fight in your own backyard? I I love both of it. You know, I love I love it all. Uh I I love fighting home. You know, I don't have to go on the plane. I don't have to do nothing. Uh, we're going to the city on Tuesday. You know, it's an easy car ride. Uh, and then uh, I also love traveling. You know, I love uh, going new places and and uh, and and you know turning a little vacation into it. Uh, so I, I love every aspect of it. Whether it's uh, whether I'm fighting at home, you know, in front of uh, my home hometown uh, people. Or uh, or I get to travel and uh, make a little vacation out of it. Cool, cool. And and you mentioned, you know, I or I mentioned rather UFC 230. This is the second time you fought in Madison Square Garden. Weird result last time, right? The the Lando Venata fight, which wound up being a majority draw, a really close back and forth fight. Felt like it probably could have gotten the nod, but at at the end of the day. How does it feel to like be going back for a chance to like get that W? What's do you, do you got the bad taste in your mouth from a draw? I mean, obviously a draw is different than a loss, but but how does that one feel in retrospect? Oh, that that was my my favorite fight I've ever had. I loved that fight. <laughs> <laughs> like like uh, I might have not technically got the win, but it, it felt like a win. Uh, you know, just the 
the su- amount of support I got from everybody after that fight and, and how, how awesome of a fight it was. You know, I went through some adversity in that first round, you know, came back and, and, and won that round and then went through some more adversity in the second round and then was able to come back and win the third round. Uh, so it was, it was a great back and forth fight against a real, you know, a real gritty, uh, worthy opponent in, uh, Lando. Uh, and I think we put on a, an awesome, uh, show, an awesome fight for the fans, you know, at Madison Square Garden. Um, so yeah, that was, that was one of my, my, uh, most favorite fights. And, and I think it was one of my best performances. And, uh, I think that's, uh, what I plan on doing again at Madison Square Garden, you know, having, one of my best performances and uh, my best fights, you know, in the most famous arena. So I can't wait. We can't wait either. And obviously I, I always got to end these things by asking for a prediction. So you said, you know, you put in your best performances at Madison square garden. You've also said Atman is a guy, you know, is going to be, you know, swinging that right hand as much as possible. How do you see this one ending for you? How, give us a prediction. You know, I'm going in there for a finish and that's how I always fight. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be mad about a first round finish, but I would love to go out there and really, uh, and break him, you know, go out there and, uh, and tire him out and just, you know, break his will and then, uh, and then get a finish, whether it's on the ground, whether it's on the feet, uh, whether it's a knockout, whether it's a submission, I'm just going in there for the, fi- for the finish. And, uh, you know, a, a nice, a nice late finish would be, would be good. You know, let, let me, showcase my skills a little bit you know all aspects of fighting with my stand-up my wrestling my jiu-jitsu and then uh and then we finish them late i love it and you heard it here first folks this has been matt from bola who fights atman aziatar at ufc 281 live from madison square garden that fight on november 12th matt thank you so much for the time again i really appreciate it yeah thank you And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, the Picket app and Maroon Social. And remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. Until next week, I'm Daniel Gibby-Vreeland. He was Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we will catch you then.